Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear of cancellation by today's cancel culture. Well, at Hudson Valley Uncensored, we won't be afraid. My intention is to stay true to each of you, true to myself, and to interview people who will also be true to our audience. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. For today's episode of Hudson Valley Uncensored, we have Tracy Beckerman, who is an award-winning author, speaker, and syndicated humor columnist who has appeared on NBC's Today Show, CBS This Morning, and Good Day New York. Her numerous honors for writing include the prestigious Writers Guild of America Award, a Clio, and a New York Emmy. She has been voted America's top blogger by the Balancing Act on Lifetime Television, has won a National Society of Newspaper Columnists Award for humor writing, and was the Global Humor Award winner of the coveted Irma Bombeck Writing Competition. I've personally been reading Tracy's columns since the time I was a reporter and then editor of a community newspaper in New Jersey starting around 2005. Soon after launching Halston Media in the Hudson Valley, beginning with Mayapak News, we picked up Tracy's syndicated column. I know firsthand that Tracy has a big following as I hear comments from many of our readers who thoroughly enjoy her lighthearted humor column. It began as Lost in Suburbia and has morphed into Lost in Midlife. Welcome, Tracy. Thanks, Brett. It's really good to be here with you. Great to have you. Tracy, you've written a couple of books, including Rebel Without a Minivan, Observations on Life in the Burbs, which was released in 2008. Then you wrote Lost in Suburbia, a memoir, How I Got Pregnant, Lost Myself, and Got My Cool Back in the New Jersey Suburbs. And now you have a third book coming out called Barking at the Moon, which is available on June 29th on Amazon. Please tell us a little bit about it and what inspired you to write it. So anybody who's read my column, Lost in Suburbia, probably knows that I write a great deal about my family. They're just awesome material. And uh, it's easy to find a lot of funny things going on that I can write about. But I decided at some point that I wasn't really getting enough material for my kids and my husband, so I should probably get a dog. Actually, that's not true. We really, (laughs) we thought it would be a good idea for the kids to have a dog growing up because it was a great experience for us. You know, my husband and I, when we were growing up, I had a golden retriever. He had a Lhasa Apso. So we decided to get the dog when the kids were five and seven. And, you know, I had images of the dog with the kids and it all being really nice. And we ended up with this dog that was like Dogzilla. I mean, dog was just absolutely nuts and tore our house apart. But, you know, in a very loving way. A golden retriever, correct? He's actually a flat-coated retriever, sort of like a black golden, which means that when you're walking around in the middle of the night and you don't turn the lights on, you know, he's just like, you trip over him and then, oh, you, no. know, you know, stub your toe, whatever it is. But so many stories about raising my kids with the dog. And I just felt like I had this Lost in Suburbia book. And then I've got another book called Lost in Midlife, Waiting in the Wings. And this was a really great bridge book between the two to talk about that sweet spot when you're raising children from the time that they're like five until 15 or seven and 17, because, you know, those are such amazing years, but in a lot of ways, it just goes by really fast. And something about having the dog slowed things down and made me realize that I really need to stop and smell the fire hydrant you know, and appreciate what we had right then and not wish it away too fast. Like, oh, I can't wait till the kids go to college and I have some time back to myself. 
it's more like, oh my gosh, this is such a great time right now. There's so many cool things happening. So I really learned that from the dog because, you know, a dog's life is, compared with ours, obviously, is um, short, relatively short. And so, you know, when you're not cleaning up uh, <laughs> dog stuff off the carpet and everything, it's just an amazing experience. Absolutely. So it uh, gives you a lot of appreciation for life, I think. So Tracy, I'm going to reveal something a little bit embarrassing about myself. I can't watch movies about dogs without crying my eyes out. I went to the movie theater on Christmas night, 2008, to watch Marley and Me, and my wife was horrified by my extremely <laughs> loud, hysterical bawling. Of course, I was uh, that way during a dog's purpose, and um, my kids totally made fun of me. If a human being dies in a movie, I'm totally fine. No big deal. <laughs> but a dog, forget about it. That's a tragedy. Especially since um, a dog's purpose author, Bruce Cameron, endorsed your book, I have to wonder, are we in for a tearjerker with your book? I don't want to give away the ending, but um, you know that's what happens when you have dogs. Unfortunately, yeah. at some point, you no longer have them. And I'm with you. I just bawl at these movies. And the dog's purpose, oh my God, the dog dies in every scene, you know? It was just because he keeps getting reincarnated over and over again. So, you know, every 15 minutes you're crying again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my book isn't like that. My dog doesn't reincarnate. We get him when he's a puppy until he's an, an old man. And um, it's, <laughs> I think that, yes, there may be some crying at the end. I will tell you that every time I reread the end of my own book, I cry. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I lived through that. But so much of the book is really a humorous story. And it's not just about the dog. It's sort of how we got the dog and that opened the door to like an entire menagerie. And my son wanted a pet and we got him a beer of a dragon. And then my daughter wanted her own pet and we got a chinchilla. And then we ended up with like a whole slew of goldfish who had a lot of burials at sea around the <laughs> toilet bowl. And at one point we were rotating goldfish so many times that I just couldn't come up with any new names for the goldfish. So I just started calling them all Larry. So when one of the goldfish would die, my husband would say, which one? I'd say Larry. He'd say, which Larry? I'd say the dead one. And <laughs> it just made things a lot easier, yeah. but not to make light of it because I really did like each of the individual goldfish, but it was just, it, you know, added a great deal of chaos to the house, which we already had because we had two kids, but it was a joyous chaos. So I think there's a lot of fun in that kind of hectic time of your life. Absolutely. So as a 42-year-old father of a soon-to-be 12-year-old girl, and I have a seven-year-old boy, I'm beginning to see life speed up myself. Everyone warned me not to blink, but I blinked, and now I have a sassy, moody, preteen daughter. And I think of the movie Father of the Bride with Steve Martin, and I imagine when my daughter brings her future husband home, I'm going to hallucinate and see my former five-year-old girl tell me she's getting married. So... Um, I guess, how were you able to cherish the small moments with your kids and with Riley? What enabled you to do that? You know, the funny thing is that in the beginning, I didn't. We had moved from the city to the suburbs and I had quit my high-powered job in television. I had this whole persona of this cool city chick, you know, with this cool job. And then I quit my job to stay home with the kids and we moved to the suburbs. I mean, that's when Lost in Suburbia was born because I was literally lost. I just did not know what my identity was anymore without the city and the job. And I kind of was really depressed. I had yet to discover the joy in parenting. It just felt like such a burden. And I feel horrible saying that, but it was just true. You know, so many people I think who need have to work would give so much to be able to stay home with their kids. And here I was resentful of it. But then one day something funny happens with my son and I wrote it down and I sent it to the local newspaper and they ran it. And then the editor contacted me and he said, do you have any more? And I said, more what, kids? 
And he said, no, <laughs> columns. I'm like, was that a column? So then I started writing Lost in Suburbia. And at some point, writing about it really helped me see the humor. I wasn't making it up. It was funny. And everything having to do with the kids, for the most part, was funny. And the same thing kind of happened when we brought the dog on board. And things that other people might see as horrible or awful, I found humor in it. And it brought so much more joy to the parenting experience. And I think that that's a little bit about, it's just framing. You know, it's really about how you want to frame it. You can't slow it down, but um, you can really enjoy it while it's there. So my theory on why your column is so successful is because it's always upbeat and silly. Life is difficult. Like you said, you know, we experience tragedies, depression, sadness. You know, that's just part of life. Your column is really a diversion from that. How is your book similar to your column and how might it be different? Also, did Riley help you stay upbeat throughout your life stages? I think that he definitely helped with that. Look, we all have challenges in life. My life is not nearly as cheery and rosy as it is in my column. I'm not making stuff up, but each one of those columns is a snapshot of a moment in my life. And there are lots of other moments that are much more difficult. So, you know, I'm a real person. I have real issues and things like that. But I think that the books definitely are reflective of the tone of the columns. I wanted them to be fun. You're right. Life is hard. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, when I was writing this book, I was like, people need this. People need to laugh. They need to see somebody else laughing at themselves and, you know, laughing at things that are going on in their life because there's a lot of things that we can't laugh at. So it gives me a lot of joy to be able to provide that to people. And it also makes me laugh too. You know, when I'm recounting things, I'm like, you know what? This was really funny. During the pandemic, was that especially hard time in your life? Do you feel experiences of uh, isolation during the pandemic? I mean, we're still sort of at the tail end of it, but. I'm an introvert, so I was like thrilled. Oh my God, I don't have to see anybody or go out. This is amazing. I'm just going to bake banana bread and gain 10 pounds. I'm the same way as you, by the way. (laughs) I mean, I'm introvert, extrovert, because I really love talking to people and doing these kinds of podcasts and things like that. But for the most part, I get my energy from being by myself. That said, it was really hard not to see my family. Now, my parents live in Florida. My kids live in Texas. And to not see everybody for over a year was really difficult. I mean, you know, to miss a whole year of your kids' lives and your parents' lives. But we Zoomed a lot like everybody else. And I had my dog, Monty, who is the successor to the Riley throne. Monty is a golden retriever and he's just as silly and goofy as Riley was. Maybe it's a retriever thing. I don't know. But he was like, he was a living being that kept me company and made me laugh and dragged me outside when it was snowing so he could go to the bathroom. Not that I blame him. I understand. That's where his toilet was. Um, Maybe a little bit. But (laughs) you know what? There's a reason so many people went out and got dogs during the pandemic. It was for that warmth and that comfort and that companionship and the joy of like the silly things that dogs do. So on social media, whenever someone talks about their dog dying, I always write a heartfelt condolence because I know that dogs are part of the family. had dogs growing up. I'm lucky to have my first dog in my adult years, Justin, who we adopted about four and a half years ago. The adoption organization claimed the dog was, claimed Justin was one when we adopted him. Our vet said that was probably bogus. So so our dog could be anywhere from five to perhaps nine years old. We have no idea. Um, He just started getting a little gray this past Uh year. Yeah, so I, I analyze every little thing about him and I love him dearly. So my question is, 
what is it about dogs that bring us humans so much joy in life? And what can we as humans learn from our furry friends? You know, if Justin starts wearing his pants up under his armpits, then you know he's a lot older than you thought he was. (laughs) And you should probably start specking out retirement communities in Florida for him. Yeah. But I'm sure that he's been like a real joy for you and your family too at the same time. And and like really brought a whole lot more to your lives than you did had without him. You know, not knowing his age, you know, while it's difficult, it's almost a good thing because it forces us to really make every moment precious because, you know, he could be kind of on the older spectrum. So you're absolutely right. And the, you know, dogs' lives are short, so. You know, the cat people are going to hate me for saying this, but I think that there's really something special about dogs and our relationship with dogs. You know, cats are very independent. They don't really need us. If you drop dead, they'd be like, okay, see ya. I'm going to go out and find, you know, something to eat on my own. But with a dog, they're just loyal to a fault almost, except my dog. I mean, there was one time I was out walking him, Riley, that is. And all of a sudden, like all the hair on the back of Riley's neck went up and and his back and his tail. And I got really nervous because somebody had reported that there were bears in the area. So I'm looking around and Riley looks really freaked out. And all of a sudden the door bangs open and this like ball of fluff comes flying out, barking at us. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And the woman's like, don't worry, don't worry. He won't bite you. And it was an attack Pomeranian. Oh, no. An attack Pomeranian. I'm not sure. Tell me what a Pomeranian is. I apologize. Oh, are, they, are, those, are those tiny dogs? Tiny dogs. Oh, tiny okay, dogs. Right. Yeah. yeah. They usually okay. get groomed to look like little teddy bears. Yeah. You know, you could probably stuff one in your handbag. There'd still be room left over. <laughs> and this attack Pomeranian came running out and Riley took off. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, where's the loyalty? Oh, Why is no. this dog staying to protect me? And I was like, thank God it wasn't actually a bear. Well, I'll tell you, I think my theory about golden retrievers, they're a little bit like Benedict Arnold's. You know, they love everybody. I had a golden retriever growing up and we always used to joke that if someone robbed the house, our dog would lick the robber to death. So yeah, yeah. pretty much. And they'll abandon you for food. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I do have two cats and you don't get nearly as close with your cats. I actually heard a more of a morbid description between cats and dogs. If you drop dead, a dog would starve to death. You know, they wouldn't eat your body. Cats would start eating your body almost immediately. Yeah, I heard that, but I wasn't going to talk about it because I figured <laughs> that this is a G-rated podcast and we probably didn't really want to go there. Well, it's called Hudson Valley Uncensored. I don't, I don't, want, little, I don't, want, I don't want little children to have scary <laughs> dreams because of me, but now they will because of you. So there we go. I'll still be the hero. So what's the funniest thing that Riley ever did? Okay, so this is really good. Riley had been gaining weight and we could figure out why because he was on a very regimented diet. We knew that he would go outside sometimes and eat rocks and slugs, but we figured that wouldn't be enough to like, you know, have him put on 10 pounds. And we had a cover on the garbage and the whole thing was just a mystery. And the other problem was he got really gassy and we're like, what could be making this dog so gassy? And it was like room clearing, FEMA warranted, you know, we were afraid that the house was going to explode if we lit a match. It was just really bad gas. So we had one of these garbage cans that you have to step on the pedal for the lid to come up. So one day I went upstairs to take a nap and the kids were at school and I came downstairs and I look over the banister. I was very, really quiet. Obviously, Riley didn't hear me. And I look into the kitchen and there's the dog with his foot on the pedal and his head buried in the garbage eating all the garbage in the can. Oh, no. (laughs) And I could not, I mean, how did this dog figure out how to put his foot on the pedal to raise up the lid so he could eat the garbage? And I was like, wow, that is so smart. And at the same time, I thought, wow, that is horrible. (laughs) 
That is very smart. Yes. <laughs> it was. But I mean, there's there's smart dogs. But I mean, I, I actually thought it was hysterical. Yeah, and yeah. I wish I'd had a camera back in those days where I could have just got a shot of that because nobody <laughs> would believe me. Yeah, that would have definitely gone viral on YouTube for sure. I think so. Yeah. Well, these are kind of pre-YouTube days, you know. Yeah. But I'm glad that I chronicled it. You know, I have that story and I could put it in the book. And it's a great sort of memory for me and my family to be able to read the book and say, oh my God, that was such a funny time with that dog. What was the most embarrassing situation that Riley put you in? Embarrassing. Oh, geez. It's got to be the gas. I mean, we'd have okay. people come over. I mean, you know, bulldogs are like notorious gaseous breeds, right? Golden retrievers aren't even in the top 10, but this dog had a very sensitive stomach. In fact, we took him to a specialty doctor one time because he was itching a lot and he had really bad gas. And we said, we had him tested for allergens. And it turned out that he was allergic to trees and dust and grass and mites and us. Oh no. His dog was allergic to human damage. So <laughs> we had a dog funny. that was allergic to us. And <laughs> there's not much we could have done about that. You know, what am I going to do every time I walk in the, in the room, like give the dog a Benadryl or something? And that was one of the things that was giving him gas. So we just kind of had to accept it. We bought like a lot of Febreze for the house, you know, but sometimes people would come in and they say, "Uh, did you have a gas leak in the house? And I'd be like, (laughs) in a sense, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. If you want to go here, because I know you said this at the end of the book, when it was time to say goodbye to Riley without revealing too much the book, would you mind describing that loss? Yeah, I could talk about the loss, I think, more than the event that led up to it. It was a devastating loss. I mean, we really felt, like you said, like we lost a member of the family. The thing that was really great is that myself, my husband, and my two kids, we were all together when it was time. You know, we welcomed this dog into our house as a family, and we said goodbye to him together as a family. And I thought, you know, it was the first time my kids really had to experience that kind of loss. And to be able to kind of help them through that It was a very loving moment. And I think that something that could have been really traumatizing for them turned out to be a difficult experience that I was glad that I could help them go through that. Um, When we flushed the the fish down the toilet, you know, everybody would say, well, he was a really good fish, you know, he, when he glubbed his last glub, but obviously it's much different when the dog, they're sentient beings and you really form attachments to them. So now we can look back on that time and just think having this dog was a miracle. What was the other thing that we did that was pretty cool was when Riley's ashes were delivered to us, we dug a garden in the backyard and we planted a dog tree, a dogwood tree. Dogwood tree, yeah, yeah. Dogwood tree. Yeah. And then we sprinkled Riley's ashes around the dogwood tree. Damn if that tree didn't get like really big while we were there. Now that you have a new dog, Monty, well, first of all, how long have you had Monty? Monty is almost nine already. I can't believe it. Wow. Yeah. How is living with a dog as an empty nester different than when you have kids around at home? You know, what are the benefits as an empty nester? Okay. So when you have kids at home and you're raising the dog, the kids, usually the kids come before the dog, except in those instances where the dog may have like thrown up on the rug. And then you're like, kids, everything has to wait because (laughs) I go have to go clean up the rug. But when you're an empty nester and it's just you and your husband, You put the dog first, even before your husband, actually, because oftentimes you like the dog more than you like your husband. You know, even the dog can even clean up after himself. My husband leaves his socks on the floor, but the dog will pick up his toys. So I'm like, can't you be more like the dog? The dog also doesn't ask me what's for dinner. You know, dog gets the same thing every night. My husband will call, what's for dinner tonight? And I'm just like, whatever I feel like making. (laughs) How about pancakes? So really, it's just about I can lavish attention on him. 
and he can focus all his attention on me, which is pretty nice too. So it's a very different experience. And the thing is, I had a lot of loss with the kids moving out. So having a dog was a comfort during that time. Now I'm used to it. Now they're they're like, we want to come visit. I'm like, now I'm busy. I have to say, following your columns also, I'm sort of giving me a preview. And I'm I'm a little bit earlier stage of my life. But it certainly gives me a preview of what I have to look forward to. And certainly a dog is going to be part of that, without a doubt. How did you come up with your book's title, Barking at the Moon? So I talk about this actually in the book because after we lost Riley, I was sitting with my husband out on the porch and I was staring at the stars and the moon. And I said, I feel like barking at the moon in Riley's honor. And my husband said to me, do you know what barking at the moon means? And I said, no, (laughs) I thought it was just barking at the moon. He said, it actually means trying to do something in vain. So, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do and it's not going to happen, you're barking at the moon. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it was sort of an appropriate analogy because here I was trying to stop time, not have the dog die, not have the kids get older and move out. And I was really barking at the moon because you can't do that. And I had that realization at that time. And so I was like, later when they asked me what I wanted to call the book, I said, barking at the moon. And then the subtitle is a story of life, love and kibble. And I think that pretty much takes you, tells you everything you need to know about this book. Well, I look forward to reading it. Tracy, how can your many fans in our audience obtain a copy of the book? You can go to Amazon actually, right now, and type in Tracy Beckerman or type in Barking at the Moon. Either way, you will find it. It's available as paperback and Kindle. Everybody keeps asking me to do an audio book. And I'm like, you know, I would, but Julia Roberts isn't available right now to do the recording for me. Um, But anyway, yeah, so you can get it on Amazon. You can also get it off my website, www.tracybeckerman.com. Also, Tracy, how can your fans follow you? I know you have a newsletter and a blog and various social media profiles. I do. If you thank you for mentioning it, I'm on Facebook. It's called Lost in Suburbia Fan Page, and you can join that. I also am on Instagram as Tracy in Suburbia. I'm on Twitter as Tracy Beckerman. And I do have this newsletter, which is a lot of fun because if you don't have access to my column for whatever reason, it's always reprinted the week after it runs in the newsletter. And you can find a link to that on my website too. Thanks for bringing all that up. I always forget to mention that stuff. I'm terrible at self-promotion. Absolutely. That's my job. Tracy, is there anything else you'd like to add? I mean, you know, I'll tell you, I I enjoy this conversation. I mean, I think dogs are wonderful creatures. And again, I'm excited to talk to you, frankly. I mean, I've been following your column for many years. So it's kind of neat to be able to speak directly with you before we started recording this podcast, we both said this is the first time we're talking ever. So, you know, this is very exciting. You know, is there anything else you'd like to add? Brett, I want to thank you so much for carrying my column in your newspapers all these years. And I hear from your readers a lot. They've invited me to yoga classes now for coffee. So we've really connected. (laughs) It's really nice to be able to reach your community with my columns and share the humor of my everyday life. The other thing too, is that I definitely recommend dogs as pets because they're wonderful companions and they definitely enhance life. You know, we're always looking for ways to make things happier and better and shinier and having a dog seems to do that. Not if you get a dog that bites you because I wouldn't recommend that. But if you get a friendly dog who's loyal and stands by your side and doesn't eat out of your garbage routinely um, or roll in dead things in the yard, making (laughs) making the sound really appealing, aren't I? But if you really want to read kind of what the experience is about, then definitely read my book, Barking at the Moon. And if you have a dog and you have young kids, 
you'll enjoy it because I think you'll find a lot of similarities with your own life. It's a good analogy also just for relationships with human beings, because just like with human beings, there is no perfect dog out there. I mean, every dog has its foibles, its you know quirky personalities. And so I think people who are going to get a dog should probably realize that, you know, you're, there's nothing perfect. You're not going to get anything perfect. You should love the dog unconditionally, regardless of its little quirks. Well, you know, the key is to train dogs early and make them human beings, not human beings, make yeah. them fit members of society. Yeah. You know, whenever I see a dog acting out, it's not the dog's fault. It's the human's fault. It's the owner's fault because they haven't taken the time to teach the dog how to behave. And here I am saying, yeah, we taught our dog everything. And, you know, he's still a one dog wrecking ball. The one thing I do recommend is that you don't try to housebreak a, a dog in a hotel. That was something that we ended up having to do. And it doesn't work out because we had been like shut out of our house. There had been a big storm and we couldn't live there. So we went to the hotel and the dog was only eight weeks old. Oh, no. So we were trying to do it from there. And it was really difficult. In fact, one time I knew we had to go out and I was on a phone call for work and I didn't know what to do. So I figured, oh, I'll just put him on the bed. He won't pee on the bed. Like, what am I thinking? Of course, a dog's going to pee on the bed. Oh, and he no. peed on the bed. He oh, peed, on no. my peed on my son's bed. So I called housekeeping and I knew that they would charge me for the dog peeing on the bed. So I told him that my son did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And, you know, he's seven years old and yeah. um, somewhat traumatized by that. Yeah. And then later on, after the dog was neutered, we needed to find a way to keep him from licking the area. And for a number of reasons, we couldn't do the cone. So I ended up putting him in boxer shorts. Um, you know, you put the, pull, pull the tail out of the, the keyhole. But the only boxer shorts that would fit him were my son's boxer shorts. So, you know, I'm responsible for my, my son having to have years of therapy. But um, it definitely added some humor into the situation. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got, Brett. Thank you so Tracy, much. Tracy, thank me. you so much for being on this podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, best of luck with the release of your book. Thank you so much. Barking at the Moon, a story of life, love, and kibble. It's actually available now. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.